0: Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Parker, former co-host of The Catholic Doctor Show here on St. Gabriel Radio, and we're coming to you with a special edition uh, roundtable regarding a very important issue that you may have heard about here in the state of Ohio. It's Issue 1 that is on the November ballot, November 7th, and this initiative uh, is about enshrining abortion in the Constitution of the state of Ohio. With this roundtable, what we hope to accomplish is to give you correct information about what this amendment means, not only for us as Catholics, but what it means for us as Ohioans and what it means with respect to life in the state of Ohio. And I have two very special people here with me today. I have Mark Huddy, who is the Director of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns for the Diocese of Columbus. And Beth Vanderkoy, who is the director of Greater Columbus Right to Life, welcome to St. Gabriel Radio. Good to be here.
1: Good to see you again in the host seat.
0: Yeah, you know it's been a while since we we've we've had the Catholic doctors uh, in in union here, except for this uh, the spirit drives. But uh, this really is about bringing the spirit down on the information here for the state of Ohio and getting out. You know what's going to be important for Catholics to understand regarding Issue 1, what we can do to help defeat Issue 1 here in the state of Ohio, and particularly getting people out to vote and helping them to vote. But first, I want to start off, Mark, with you. You're the Director of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns for the Diocese, and you've been intimately involved in this campaign for Vote No on Issue 1. Tell us why this is so important for the Diocese of Columbus and for all the dioceses in Ohio.
2: Thanks, Mike. Um, I think it's important, first of all, because um, in the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world, it starts out by saying that the joys and hopes, the griefs and anxieties of the people of this age are are the joys and hopes and griefs and anxieties of the church. So anything that that concerns the world around us is part of the church's concern. So that's number one. Secondly, Um, this issue really involves uh, a very important moral issue I know that there's uh, been a lot of advertisements that have tried to cast this in different ways saying it's a private issue saying it's a medical issue but it's it really involves a moral issue and the church has always been a church that favors life favors the gospel of life and so um That's one of the reasons that the church is so involved. Um, If we take our Catholic social teaching, for example, you know, the cornerstone of that social teaching is the principle that every human life is sacred from its beginnings and uh, possesses a dignity that comes from being created in the image of God.
0: Mm -hmm. Mark, I think one of the things that you said was important is, is this is a moral issue. Yes, there are medical components to it, and there are uh, governmental components to the abortion issue, but y- your your statement that it's a moral issue really hits at that. And why do you think people are having such a hard time understanding that this is a moral issue? I think
2: they're having a hard time because we spent 50 years living under the, the shadows of Roe versus Wade. And so, um, you know, things happen— um, we talk about, in the church, we talk about formation programs and everything. So we've had 50 years of formation in the secular world of an understanding that abortion is legal for the most part, and uh, that, um, and we also have that understanding that, uh, at least in the secular world, that if it's legal, then it's okay. And so, uh, I think that's the, that's the root of the problem.
0: Right. And one of the, I I think with the other thing that, that comes out and all of this, and I think the church has a lot to say about this is we look at the Holy Family as a center of, you know, um, our faith and how it came about and there, but this issue is actually anti-family. And so, where does the church stand when it comes to parental involvement in their, their youth? Um, either with, I, We know about faith formation, but regarding decisions that they're being asked to make, this issue wants to give uh, each individual or minors the opportunity to have abortions or potentially uh, uh, gender reassignment surgeries and treatments for uh, gender dysphoria. Tell us where the church is with regards to the parental rights that, that they have.
2: Well, the church is very much in favor of of parental rights and believes that um, children children under under the age of majority uh, need that guidance from their parents. And to take that away uh, means that um, a child can make a decision without thinking of the full consequences. I don't know whether you know about you know. I mean, we all you know. You've had children. I've had right. children. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that a 13-year-old is always able to see the full consequences of an action.
0: Right. I, as I tell my kids, you've got the right to do stupid. Just don't make me clean up the mess. There you go. Right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think I think it is very important that the Catholic Church really does put the focus on the family and that parental guidance within the family um, uh, as developing their moral character right. uh, and their ability to um, really handle the issues of the world with a light towards the truth. Um, Absolutely, you know, uh, with regards to that. Before we get too far into the show, let me also bring in Beth Vanderkoy, who is the executive director for Greater Columbus Right to Life. Beth, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here.
0: So, Beth, I, I know you and Mark have been working very closely together and going out to, to parishes to, to spread the news on issue one. Um, we're coming up on a very important time period. Uh, we're, we're in the early voting period, and November 7th is going to be here before we know it. What are you doing right now to get the message out to people to get out and vote, and, and where can they go and get the vote uh, early?
1: Absolutely. So we are making sure that everyone knows that this uh, this is November, right? We're going to put the no in November. And um, we're asking everyone to make sure that they get out to vote no by November 7th. And there really are two great ways to do that, right? You can uh, vote early uh, in person. Um, at this point, it's probably a little too late to vote and request an absentee ballot if you happen to have requested one of those absentee ballots and it's sitting on your your table at home um, please by all means get that filled out and get that mailed out it's not too early to send it out but also you know every county in the state of ohio has an early vote center and an early vote location you can find that out at voteohio.gov you can find your location and your hours Uh, and certainly we're inviting every everyone to bank their vote uh, now through November 7th. Now, of course, there are going to be some people who like to vote on Election Day. I get that. For years, I was one of those folks. But uh, there's a few great reasons to vote early. First and foremost is it lets us know that you have voted. So you are we, we can stop trying to call you and reminding you to vote. Um, saves us a little bit of money because we are trying to stretch every dollar that we have because our opponents are outspending us six to one right now. Uh, it also makes sure, like, l- let's be realistic. Sometimes things happen. You wake up on a election day, uh, you know, you've got a sick kid, traffic is tough, the boss keeps you late. Um, for this election, and and I know, you know, every single election, somebody tells you this is the most important election of our life. But I really do think that this election is going to shape the way uh, that Ohio is able to respond to the truths about human nature for the next 50 years. And so this election is that important. We need every vote in every county, and we need every person who is willing to go out and, and cast their no vote, because everything that we are seeing is that it's going to come right down to the wire. So we need you. Uh, we need you to get involved. It's not too late to do things like phone banking, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, but please, if you take one thing with you, um, it's to pray and it's to vote.
0: Right. And fast. We can add add that in there, too. Yeah. I always like to tell people it's the rules of 10. You've got to talk to 10 people who may be sitting on the fence regarding this issue. And you've got to convince 10 people to vote. And then you've got to get 10 people a ride to the polls so that we make sure that those people are out there. Because this is going to come down to, like you said, small numbers uh, with regards to this. But I think we can do it. Uh, one of the things that I, I listened to, I, I was on a, a podcast or a webcast last night, and they talked about the David and Goliath story. Uh, and and we can comment on this, but, you know, this truly, we, we think of Planned Parenthood and the ACLU as the Goliath. And here we are as little Davids. We're being outspent six to one. We don't have the, the emotional ads that they do. Uh, we are hitting social media as hard as we possibly can. And yet here is David. This small little, what some people think is insignificant, pro-life movement trying to take down the Goliath with regards to Ohio's constitution, and I just want you to remember that um, that the, what held back the, the 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 army of the Israelites was not that they didn't have the people, it was fear, it was fear, and David came up with the wisdom or with the with filled with the Holy Spirit and God's strength behind him to take on Goliath and defeated him with one stone okay so now that that one stone could be you having a conversation with somebody who's unsure about how to vote on this issue and taking some of the things that we're going to talk about here in this this uh, uh special um uh, round table here uh and 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 uh, you know talk to them ask them questions ask them questions about how they feel about the amendment and get them to consider voting no on issue 1. This this we're going to get into what the amendment says. We're going to get into how radical it is, but we're we're going to give you tools that you can use to go out and speak to those undecided voters, family members, relatives, whoever it may be, coworkers to get them to be convinced that even if they're pro-choice, that this amendment goes too far and that they should vote no. Got a reminder here to just let you know that absentee ballots must be postmarked by November sixth, and that early voting ends Sunday, November fifth, at five p.m. So get those dates on your calendar, and please get out and vote early if you can. But also get out there on November seventh. Mark, before we get into the details of the amendment and everything, you know, one of the I, I I'll be sitting in church and and the, Priests will be talking either in a homily or at the end of the mass about this issue, and I'll see a lot of people's heads just shaking negatively. You know, they shouldn't be talking about this. They, they should. This shouldn't be the separation of church and state. Those types of things. But we haven't. This is probably the most unified I've seen the Catholic Conference of Ohio on any issue ever. And in fact, how unified not only the Catholic church is, but the evangelical church and the Protestant churches here in Ohio against issue one. Tell us why we can say we can have priests talking about in sermons about this issue versus, you know, other campaigns where they can't say anything.
2: Well, I'm a big fan of, uh, reading encyclicals, probably not everybody's favorite, uh, job description, but, um, One of my favorites is actually God is Love by Pope Benedict. And in that encyclical, uh, Benedict really gives us uh, an understanding of our responsibilities in the political realm. And he says that a just society is the achievement of politics. So that's interesting, you know. A just society is is the achievement of politics. And then he goes on to say, he says that, you know, the church's duty is is indirect in the sense that the church has to help us understand the principles that motivate us as laity to go out and create that just society. And he says the direct duty uh, to work for the just ordering of society belongs to the laity, so that's us. So when a priest is preaching on this issue. He's helping us understand the principles that ought to motivate us in a way to go out and order society in a just manner. And the just manner is really making sure that every life is protected because every life has come into being first in the mind of God before it is conceived in the mother's womb. And it's made in God's image. God had a purpose for every single life that's been created.
0: And and I I even think so. God's image is even in those babies who may have a genetic or a structural abnormality. Um, None of us have seen the face of God. And so we don't know uh, that it is that, you know, we don't know what he looks like. But we know inside that it is God's creation. Mark, you mentioned the principles that should drive us. Can you can you go further, elaborate on some of those principles that ought to drive our decision making?
2: Well, you know, I'll talk principles, but I'll also talk a little bit about our identity. I think it's important to think about who we are. You know, and and as Catholics, I think we have uh, have some common traits. I think back to growing up and uh, and having the discussion with one of my parents on, well, you're a honey. We don't do that. So there's something to our sense of identity that kind of helps us understand what we do and what we don't do. And I think if we think about our identity as Catholics, first of all, we're a people of life. We're a people that's a resurrection people. We're we're an Easter people. We celebrate that life that jesus gave us first in our baptism we celebrate it every sunday that's why we go to church it's not because somebody's making us go we go to celebrate the fact that we have have life and eternal life through jesus christ secondly um i think that we celebrate life in in its in its fullness even on the earth, you know. We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate springtime, we're we're people that love life. Um, Every life, as I said, is is, um, a life that's valuable to God. God had a plan in creating that life, and every person is unique and unrepeatable. So if someone is lost through an abortion, that's a gift to the world that is is taken away, and uh, so that's very important. The church has always promoted and defended life and always encouraged um, all of us to promote and defend life. That's why the church has taken strong stands against abortion, that's why the church opposes euthanasia and assisted suicide, and that's why the church is right now even trying to eliminate the death penalty.
0: Right. And, and I, Mark, that's, that, that goes back to what I ask people when I see advertisements on TV of uh, Protestant pastors or evangelical pastors, whoever they may be, who are coming out in support of issue one, uh, saying that this is a difficult decision uh, and it should be left within the family to do that, uh, and that you know, they, they think issue one should go past. We shouldn't have government involved and that they should be able to do it. And, and, and basically tacitly uh, condoning abortion. But I asked myself, how could God, who is a perfect being and is love, contradict his commandment to be fruitful and multiply? And I haven't gotten one pastor to, to say, he, he, he does it here or here or here. No, he, God cannot contradict himself. So, you know, the, those principles of life, we are made, for, made out of love for love, to love, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and so we go forward. Beth, um, you're, you're, more in, you're involved on all aspects of it, not only from working with the Catholic faith, but being involved in the community and, and getting out and spreading the word about this. What are you hearing from people when they say, get your religion out of my decision"?
1: Well, I mean, I do hear that every now and then. Um, and it's it's always kind of funny because I was pro-life before I was Catholic. For those who don't know, um, I'm a convert. And I kind of got recruited in to work with Greater Columbus Right to Life during uh, during the RCIA process. And, and to, to me, I think there's a, a couple of things that we should acknowledge. And first and foremost i'm catholic because i believe that it speaks to a truth that has been revealed about human nature itself and about god's nature and so that is of course always going to conform with something that is true and so one of the things that kind of drew me to the catholic faith itself when when i realized i was looking for more was just the ability to conform to the natural law itself because i didn't understand the concept of a church that could violate the processes that god himself seemed to have set into nature um, and if i keep kind of going down you know if i keep kind of going down that that lane it'll it'll get really deep and we'll, we'll get off uh, off topic so but I, I, when I think of the church itself, I think of the church's role in ministering to the brokenness of our world, because that is something we have to always remember. We are broken people in an absolutely broken world. And so often, you know, when I'm, at, when I'm at my parish and, you know, I'm seeing we're doing the work of feeding the hungry, we're raising money for missionaries, we're, you know, supporting the elderly, we're, we're doing all of these beautiful things. What is that, but not an expression of mercy into the world itself? And so I, I think nobody would disagree that the church has a role in extending mercy to a broken world. But sometimes when when I think about it, when, when we think about the very nature of mercy, if somebody is trying to jump over a river and they've fallen in, mercy means that instead of looking away, you reach in and you fish them out and you you save them. But also... I think what we need to realize is that sometimes mercy is looking at that river and realizing that people keep falling in the river. And maybe what we need to do is build a bridge. And so I think the church's involvement here is precisely what it should be, which is to stand up and articulate a truth about the world and building a bridge so that Uh, we are not just continually fishing people out of the river because we are a culture that is drowning. We are absolutely drowning. And so, you know, I I think just kind of from the legal perspective, I run a a 501c3 nonprofit. We have restrictions on political speech as well. But an uh, an issue is something that is intentionally distinct from a partisan issue so issue one is not a republican or a democrat issue we're not saying to you know vote beth Vanderkoy for queen of the world we're we're not saying any of those partisan things and because it is an issue and because it so informs our view of the world and how we live as people in it it's not only permissible but i think it's absolutely necessary for the church to be involved And then, of course, if I'm being a little bit more flippant, I would say that this is no more but yet another red herring. Just like how many times have we heard, you know, have we heard kind of the pro-abortion side say that men are not allowed to be involved in the abortion discussion except for pro-choice men. Um, So somehow, you know, religion is not allowed to be involved in the discussion unless you're for it. Um, and, And I think we just have to reject that kind of
0: nonsense. I agree. I agree. We have to reject it at all times. And I th- I like the analogy that you give about the river of mercy and, you know, people plucking people out of that river. I, I think that river is actually despair, you know, and, and I think we do have to pluck them out of that. You're listening to a special roundtable on Issue 1 here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. I'm Dr. Ka- Michael Parker. I'm in studio with, doc- with Mr. Mark Huddy uh, from the Catholic Diocese and with Beth Vanderfoy from uh, Greater Columbus Right to Life. Mark, you wanted to comment on, on what Beth just had to say.
2: Oh, well, I think Beth really picks up a couple more of the identity points that uh, are worth thinking about. And, um, you know, I mentioned first that we're a people of life but we're also a people who show compassion for the suffering and vulnerable. You know, we, uh, we take the gospel seriously, and we have that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan in the gospel, which starts out with, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Well, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then, uh, of course, the, the lawyer, it being a lawyer, I, I always watch for those lines in Scripture. The lawyer asks the question. Um, he says, well, who's my neighbor? And, of course, the story goes on. We have the story of the Good Samaritan. And the end of the story is, so who was neighbor to the man who was beaten by the side of the road? And the answer in Scripture is the one who treated him with compassion. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So what's true compassion versus what's an artificial compassion? And I think that's one of the things that's bound up in issue one. And we see that in many parts of our society today on something that's sort of goes under the, the moniker compassion but doesn't really reflect the true compassion for someone who's suffering and vulnerable. So um, I think that that's one of the elements of who we are as Catholics. We are people who reach out to care for and um, and tend to the suffering of others and to those who are vulnerable.
0: Right. And I think that you said it when you said we have this false compassion that's being used to uh, support issue one. Mm -hmm. That if we don't have abortion on demand throughout all weeks of pregnancy, that we're not being compassionate. But we have to remember that compassion means to walk with that person through that that problem in life that they're facing. And this this pregnancy that they're facing, whether uh, under any circumstances, it, it brings up some anxieties some fears, uh, some concerns, uh, especially if that pregnancy is not going as well as we thought it would. But I have found as a life affirming OBGYN for the past 30 years, delivering thousands of babies, that true compassion is being where that person is in the moment. Okay, and helping them to come to a decision that will not make them have regrets in the future. I've seen a lot of women who have been faced with pregnancies that either socially, economically, uh, or medically uh, were not the best thing that they thought they should have at the time. But when you sit right down with them and you show that compassion and you work with them on what are their fears, what are their anxieties, what can we do to help you in this walk that you're in right now? I have found that the vast majority, if not all the women that I've spoken to, do not want an abortion, but they feel it's their only option, their only way out, or they're being coerced by somebody to say, if you don't get this abortion, I'm not going to be here for you, Uh, or you're not going to have monetary support, or you're not going to be able to accomplish that. And that's not being compassionate. That's not being compassionate at all. And we also know that once the abortion is done, where is everybody for this woman? You know? Um, most abortionists do not have follow-up for their patients after the abortion is performed. So I think in many times we uh, I, I have seen women empowered by people who truly walk with compassion with them and help to empower them to make decisions that are not going to give them regrets in the future. And as I used to say to a lot of my younger uh, patients, maybe 16, 15, even as young as 11, Uh, who found themselves in a situation where they were pregnant. This is not an excuse for you to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish in life. You need to make this baby proud of you, okay? And yes, you're going to have struggles. Yes, you're going to have moments of despair and where you feel that you're not going to be able to make it and everything. But the fact that you work through those issues... You, you succeed in overcoming those hurdles, you're not only going to make that child proud of you, but you're going to display for them what it truly means to be a parent, to love somebody beyond what you ever thought you could love somebody, and you're going to give them the example of what it's going to be like to succeed in times of trial uh, going forward. Beth, do you have anything to add on that?
1: Well, I... I was sitting here, you know, sort of thinking and, um, and we might be getting kind of a little bit too, a little bit too deep or deeper here than we wanted to, because it's so fascinating. But something that I have, I have realized is that, um, being pro-life does not solve all of the very real problems that are faced by very real people. Um, and I think, you know, as a representative of the pro-life community and, and speaking to people and, and look, I, I think probably if you're still listening, you're probably either at least pro-life or, or mostly pro-life. Um, and, but, but I, I think the one thing that we can say differently in the pro-life movement is we acknowledge that it's, it's hard. Um, and we acknowledge that it might get harder, but we also have a message there of, but you're not alone. And I, you know, I, I think so much of the misery and the despair in the world comes from a, a sense of loneliness, but I also want to make sure that, you know, before we think, Before we, you know, just in case, I don't want to leave people with the accidental notion that issue one is about, you know, incredibly top lofty, theoretical, um, theological arguments about what it means to be human. Uh, I also want to remind people that what we are talking about here in issue one uh, is a proposal that is so dangerous and it is so extreme that you don't even have to be as pro-life as the three of us in this room to reject it. Uh, and we know that because of the number of liberal newspapers that are coming out against it. The, uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Toledo Blade have both come out against it. And I'm sure there will be more in, in the days to come because we are talking about putting into Ohio's constitution A proposal that will be the most extreme uh, and the most anti-parent, anti-life amendment uh, anywhere in the United States and probably in the world. I I mean, this this might even be going further than North Korea and China. Uh, and and I think that's something that I also want to hone in on. You don't have to agree with us one hundred percent of the way on abortion to reject this amendment. And I'm hearing that every day from somebody.
0: Yeah, uh, this this is something I think both pro-choice and pro-life people can rally around because this this amendment is so radical. But Beth, the other side is saying this is just restoring common sense. You know, uh, restrictions or, or whatever for abortion since Roe versus Wade. How does this compare to what was under effect versus Roe, prior to Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Dobbs decision?
1: Well, that's, that's a loaded question. I, it's intentionally there, loaded. I got a big gun over here
0: yeah. and I'm gonna shoot it. <laughs> there, is,
1: there is nothing common sense about this amendment. And, and I think what we really have to give people the truth about is that at the end of the day, we are talking not about the revised code, like they're trying to put in the marijuana amendment. They're talking about mending the Constitution of Ohio itself to guarantee this right to make so-called reproductive decisions as a fundamental, untouchable, super right within the state of Ohio. And that is not common sense because it allows for no opportunity for debate, no opportunity for discussion. And so it doesn't matter what they're telling us on slick TV ads where they're outspending us five or six to one. It doesn't matter what people want it to say. It doesn't matter what they think it says. It, it doesn't, it, none of those things matter. This goes so much further than Roe v. Wade. And when the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade about a year and a half ago, you have to remember that even Roe v. Wade itself had been constrained. So when Roe v. Wade first became law back in 1973, you had abortion with no limits right and then there was a body of case law that built up you know v. bolton planned parenthood v casey whole women's health there were all of these decisions that ultimately recognized that the state had a right to regulate abortion for the health and safety of the women before viability and then after the point of viability to regulate or end abortion for the sake of protecting the life of the viable unborn child. This is talking about wiping all of that out overnight. So if issue one passes, without a doubt, we are going to see Ohioans forced to accept taxpayer funded abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy, and that will include painful And cruel and dangerous to the mother procedures uh, you know in the second and third trimester we are talking about the eradication of parental involvement parental notification and consent before children engage in life altering decisions I'm not just talking about abortion here I'm talking about sterilization I'm talking about puberty blockers hormone therapy anything that falls under that umbrella of a reproductive decision. And I'm also talking about wiping out overnight common sense regulations that keep women and children safe. And that is absolutely what this amendment will do.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. The, the, the government does have a vested interest in the protection of its citizens in passing common sense legislation uh, that sets either gestational age limits or uh, safety standards for clinics or credentialing of physicians uh, who are providing the abortion procedures and who can perform those abortion procedures. Uh, and this amendment will essentially wipe all of those things out. And as I've said before, this will essentially give Planned Parenthood the constitutional control of the state of Ohio when it comes to abortion. Now, none of us would allow Big Pharma or Big Oil to come into the state of Ohio and regulate themselves. But if this amendment passes, you're going to give uh, Planned Parenthood and the ACLU complete control over our Constitution with regards to life issues. How? The state shall pass no laws that either directly or indirectly burden, penalize, or interfere with an individual's right to carry out or individual's right to have these procedures or, or, or abortion. I don't have the language here in front of me. So even if the state did try to pass legislation that was common sense, such as safety standards for clinics or anything else, all Planned Parenthood has to do is come in and file an injunction in the court, and the court will then take it and say, well, look, it's, it's a direct influence on that, and they, they'll, they'll probably throw it out.
1: They don't even have to file an injunction. They mm-hmm. just have to say the Constitution allows me to do this, and the state has to prove it doesn't. But I'll take that one step further. Obviously, abortion and reproductive care or whatever we want, whatever euphemism we want to wrap it up in, you know, that carries some emotional weight with people, particularly in a world where many women have experienced an abortion, right? Many people love someone who has had an abortion. And I think many people are afraid to reject abortion because they don't realize you can reject abortion without rejecting a loved one who has had an abortion, but just imagine if instead of reproductive decisions, we substituted in the phrase pain management. Uh, and look, I think the majority of doctors, the majority of healthcare providers, they want to do what's best for their patient. They want to do what's best for both of their patients. But Ohio and you know, many parts of the listening area, many parts of the Diocese of Columbus have been hit hard by the opioid crisis. But there's a reason that we heavily regulate the practice of medicine and the distribution of narcotics. So can you imagine what would happen if we opened up the doors in Ohio to say that the only person who could decide what pain management was appropriate was the doctor providing and being paid for the narcotics? How bad would that be? From as from your perspective as a physician
0: it would be absolutely horrible I mean we would see what I think we'll see uh, if this amendment is passed and we'll you know if in the opioid the reason we passed the laws regarding opioid distribution is because of the large number of deaths from overdose that were occurring and we're seeing that now with fentanyl uh, in the United States and I think what we're going to see if this amendment passes is we're going to see more women dying we'll definitely see more babies dying from abortion procedures, because abortion will be allowed throughout all trimesters of pregnancy, throughout all of pregnancy, even up until the time of birth, where procedures become inherently more dangerous the larger the pregnancy becomes. Women are at higher risk for uh, hemorrhage, infection, injury to internal organs due to perforation of the uterus, um, infection, if I haven't mentioned that already, uh, and And, you know, complications related to anesthesia, because many of these late-term abortions require anesthesia. And so we're going to see more cases like what we saw of a a young woman who was from Canal, Winchester, who went up to Cleveland at 18 weeks pregnant, supposedly 18 weeks pregnant, who went to preterm Cleveland to have an abortion performed, elective abortion. She had a two-year-old child at home. She went in for her so-called routine abortion procedure, and the second the procedure started, her bottle sign started to crash. She was having complications. They delayed in calling 911. They were trying to resuscitate her with equipment that was not appropriate for adults. the emergency squad was called but they couldn't get up because they didn't have a functioning elevator that was big enough to take their gurney when they got into the room the, the room was so small they couldn't do resuscitative things there they couldn't intubate there they had to put the patient on the gurney but because the elevator was so small they had to sit her upright that's the last thing you do with a person who's hemorrhaging or having complications such as low blood pressure they couldn't do anything until they got outside of the clinic into the parking lot where her naked body was flailing on the side of this gurney before they could finally intubate her and start resuscitating her. That's critical time that could have saved this woman's life. And if this amendment passes, I'm sorry, you can argue with me all you want but they're already starting to do this elsewhere where they're getting rid of these common sense safety measures.
1: Well, it's it's more than that. That that particular case happened back in 2014. In 2013, Ohio passed a series of regulations trying to make sure that ambulatory surgical facilities met the basic minimum standards. And preterm and the ACLU, two of the same proponents of this amendment, were fighting it in court. and even though this woman died for lack of the health and safety standards that they did not want to be you know why they called they identified them as a burden and thank god the ohio supreme court in 2018 upheld that law but it was too late for that woman and it will be too late for countless other women uh, I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity, and, and, and it's a it's a challenging exhibit, but there's actually um, a, an exhibit of the crime scene photographs from the Gosnell case that has opened here in Columbus. It's going to be doing a national tour. Uh, it opened here in Columbus uh, about a, a month before the election. It's going to run through, you can find it online at evidencetheexhibition.com I think. And it's the it's the crime scene photos and for the majority of the exhibit if you've not seen it you just walk you you're walking through and you're looking at the photographs of how disgusting and filthy the waiting room was um, about the you know the lack of standards about the break room about the lab area and then if you choose you can go into the back and behind some curtained areas you can see photographs that were taken of the babies who were either born alive or who died through something approaching what you and I would probably call partial birth abortion or partial birth fetuside and keep in mind that Kermit Gosnell is in cr- jail for those crimes but he was in he was allowed to operate because basically the political powers that be in Pennsylvania had determined that he was getting a political pass. And I, I greatly fear that if we have issue one pass, we are going to see more cases like Gosnell. And I can say that with a little bit of authority because many of you may remember a few years ago, Founders, which was Ohio's very first abortion clinic, it closed. And for a brief moment, we had hoped and we thought perhaps we were going to be able to buy that facility, raise part of it, turn it into a memorial. So I went and with a realtor and I I toured it and there was too much maintenance. We weren't going to be able to do it. But I have to tell you, even six months after them being out of there, um, and again, you don't have to take my word, it's still up on our, our website. But six months later, you could still see blood smatter. You could still see the filthy conditions. Um, and, and I just, I think people, they have this idea of what abortion might be in their head, and it does not conform to reality.
0: I would agree. You're listening to a special roundtable discussion on Issue 1 here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. In the studio with me is uh, Mr. Mark Huddy with the Catholic Diocese of Columbus and Beth Koy, the Executive Director for Greater Columbus Right to Life. And I'm Dr. Michael Parker, a local OBGYN with over 30 years clinical experience providing life-affirming care to thousands of women and babies. And this is a critical discussion that I think all of us need to hear because we need to understand truly what Issue 1 is all about. But more importantly, we need to get out and let our voice be heard. You have to get out and vote. This is not a stay-at-home election. This is a, well, I'm just not feeling good today kind of vote. You go sick. You go with a broken leg, broken arm, whatever you can do. you got to go vote. You can vote early right now, uh, either through absentee ballots. They have to be postmarked by November 6th. Or you can go to early in-person voting, which ends Sunday, November 5th. If you're not sure where you should go for early voting or how to get an absentee ballot, you can go to VoteOhio.gov. You can also get more information about this issue from a number of different sites, including Greater Columbus Right to Life, but from the Catholic Conference of Ohio at ohiocathconference.org, from Protect Women Ohio, uh, and also from uh, Center for Christian Virtue, a number of different areas where you can get information on this. But what I also want you to do is, in Greater Columbus Right to Life is gcrtl.org, Uh, forward slash stop. Um, I I want if you're having questions about what this amendment says with regards to abortion, what they're trying to tell you is that um, if this doesn't pass, you're not going to be able to have miscarriage care. You're not going to be able to have care for ectopic pregnancies. You're not going to be able to have uh, procedures performed to save the life of the mother uh, or, uh, for those unfortunate, uh, people who have been given a diagnosis of a life limiting condition in the baby, those procedures are going to be outlawed and women are going to be forced to carry these pregnancies to term. I want you to go to the Ohio revised code and it's section two, nine, one, nine, and it goes to a number of different areas. It's very quick to go through. You can go through and educate yourself. About what Ohio's current laws, whether it's the heartbeat law, which is currently has an injunction against it, or the current viability law that we're acting under here in the state of Ohio. You can see miscarriage care, ectopic pregnancy care, procedures to, per, to save the life of the mother or prevent an irreversible damage or harm to a bodily function. Uh, all of those things are still protected in the state of Ohio, even under the heartbeat bill. And so don't just rely on what those who are in favor of Issue 1 are telling you. Don't rely on me to tell you that these things are already there. Go and educate yourself by just taking 20 minutes to look at the Ohio Revised Code and see what it actually says about abortion here in the state of Ohio. Because you're going to find that one side is telling you the truth about what is available here in the state of Ohio. And the other side is kind of misleading you in that. Mark, you were an attorney originally uh, and still have a law degree. Uh, yes. and, and so a lot of people are saying, you know, well, let's just get this passed and then we'll work out the issues once it's passed and everything else. Tell us why that's not necessarily true.
2: Well, it's not necessarily true because this is a constitutional amendment. And as Beth talked about earlier, this is a constitutional amendment that goes in the section that has the most fundamental rights in Ohio's Constitution. And the language of this amendment does create a super right that places it in a category above other rights. So it will be very difficult to have any kind of successful challenge. So you can't change this by legislation. So the Ohio legislature can't do anything. If this is in the Constitution, you can't pass a law that's going to violate the Constitution. The only way to fix the problem that would be created by this is to actually pass another constitutional amendment. And that's a difficult process.
0: Yeah, I think— Uh, the attorney general for the state of Ohio says it's never happened. And those that the the amendments, uh, to the, to the constitution that's never happened. Mark, what does it mean for doctors of conscience like myself who refuse to participate in abortion, refer for abortion? What is that going to mean for healthcare workers or or doctors like myself?
2: Well, I think you probably can answer that question even better than I, but I'll take a shot at it. And what I would say is, um, You know, I think that conscience rights won't hold up under the super right that this constitutional amendment creates, both for the individual who's seeking to have an abortion and also for anyone assisting that individual in trying to have an abortion. And those rights will be in a category above the conscience rights of medical practitioners. And if someone is attempting to exercise their right to practice their religion, for example, that would be seen as, as Beth said earlier, a burden under the language of this amendment, and um, it's not going to hold up. So I think conscience rights are very much in danger if this
0: amendment passes. Right. We we know that... Uh, Beth, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I would, I would add into that that I think it even goes further than that. So if we look at... Uh, Two states which passed similar but not quite as expansive of a constitutional amendment. Both California and Michigan uh, passed kind of slightly weaker variations of this amendment last year. And we're already seeing out of California and Michigan uh, harassment of pregnancy help centers, um, I, I believe I just saw where the, you know, once again, the pregnancy help centers in California have had to file a lawsuit to defend their rights, not, uh, you know, to, to, to treat to treat and help women. Um, we're seeing litigation, you know I think the ACLU is behind some litigation of Catholic hospitals in Michigan claiming that you know, because of their stance on abortion that they are burdening women. Again, this is very intentional language um, that is being used in, again, with specific intention, but you you don't necessarily need to be like a legal brain. To under understand these things, you just have to look to see what's happening in this in these other states. They're already going after pregnancy centers. They're going after churches. They're going after faith based hospitals. And uh, they're you know uh, we're, we're already seeing this problem when the Biden administration made kind of these blanket decisions to open up the availability of the abortion pill at retail pharmacy. And so you see where you know pharmacists at at CVS and Walgreens are going to be forced to distribute the abortion pill. Um, you know we're seeing those constant attacks on uh, on on religious freedom and rights of conscience, and they're using the carrot and the stick. Well, okay, you don't have to do it, but you don't have to work here either, right? Right.
0: right. You know, Mark, you're right. I can't answer that question. <laughs> and uh, but but what is scary is. And and people always want to say we're talking in hyperbole and we're just trying to scare people about this. But but let me let me come back and talk to you a little bit about reality. And that is this. About one in every five or six hospital beds in the state of Ohio is at a Catholic hospital. Okay, many of those are in rural areas uh, that serve people who cannot get to major metropolitan areas or those types or uh, uh, to other uh, hospital services. And it's going to come down to physicians who, the vast majority of physicians feel that there should be some restrictions on abortion, and only 14% of physicians perform abortions, of OBGYNs perform abortions. So that's a large number of people that don't do abortions or provide for abortions. And we're seeing an increase in medical abortions, where about 50% of all abortions are now medical. So if I'm a small town OBGYN or a small town family practice doctor, and I have a young woman come in to see me with uh, a pregnancy, she no longer desires to carry and she wants me to uh, help her get an abortion. Okay. And I refuse to give her the medication or I refuse to do the abortion. Okay. What's going to happen to me? All you have to do is remember the, the cake baker, the photographer, the website designer, who are facing challenges that have gone all the way up to the Supreme Court, cost them years of their lives, hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend themselves just for their own individual right of conscience not to be involved in these procedures that violate their religious freedoms. And so I do think we'll see that. And I think we'll see a decline in the number of people willing to go to these smaller areas. Because of that, we'll have things called maternity deserts. Um, where we're already seeing hospitals close because they don't have physicians going into those areas because they can't afford to go into those areas uh, due to reimbursements or for whatever other reasons. Um, and they're closing down maternity units, which is making it more and more difficult for women to receive high-quality medical care that they need to save their life or to save the life of their baby. And I think that's just going to get worse. Beth, you had something to say on that.
1: Well, and it's it's not only that, because keep in mind, the, the language of this amendment doesn't just refer to doctors, it doesn't just refer to the legislature, but it imposes this burden on every level of government, right? Or the, the lack of burden, I guess I should say. So it's every level of government. So that means not only the legislature and the governor is bound by it, but it also means publicly funded hospitals. It means public school districts. It means public universities. So, you know, if a parent thinks about today their child in school, um, before a school nurse can give a child a cough drop or a Tylenol, they have to have parental permission first, right? Right. Um, I have a friend who's, you know, who has a child with type 1 diabetes. And I mean, they have to call her every day before they administer the insulin that she gets every day. I mean, it's, it's very, very involved. But under this amendment, your, your elementary school or your middle school nurse could conceivably be compelled to provide the abortion pill to your daughter. Um, could be compelled to distribute hormone treatment for gender reassignment uh, or puberty blockers and gender-conforming procedures or even just chest binders. Because keep in mind, this amendment, the language of this amendment talks about an individual and the individual's right to be basically entirely unimpeded by any level of governmental influence. Um, And so... You know, what that means, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about just what compliance with the legal language of this amendment, and I say the legal language knowing that that sounds a bit redundant, but again, keep in mind that the, the language being used throughout this amendment in some cases has very intentional interpretation and very intentional definitions, and so we have to read it with a mind to understanding what that means.
0: And that that brings me back to this question. Why is there such a desire to have unrestricted abortion throughout our land? Why? Why do we have an elective procedure in 99% of the cases? It's done for convenience. What is wrong with the morality of our country or of its people that we're demanding that we be able to kill our unborn children on demand, anytime, anywhere. And it's being driven by our political ideologues. Why? What, what, what's what gone wrong? Mark, do you have any thoughts? Well, um,
2: I think, uh, we're, we're in an age of individualism. I think that's, that's one thing where, um, people are kind of focused on, on their own needs. Um, And we've lost sight of the connectedness that we have, both as a society. Many people don't have those family connections that they used to have. And uh, this is not going to help. Yeah, I
1: agree. Beth? Well, I, you know, a few weeks ago, um, the General Assembly is actually, the Ohio General Assembly is actually debating legislation involving parental involvement when a child is experiencing gender dysphoria, right? So if if a child tells a teacher that, you know, she's seeing herself as a boy now or, you know, what is the school is the school obligated to tell the parents, etc. Um and, you know, this is actually a very heated debate in Ohio politics. And look, I'm not here to beat up on anyone experiencing gender dysphoria. That's not my purpose here. But there there was a statement that I think was very, very telling um, from the lobbyist for the ACLU. And he stated that we needed to understand the reality that in some families, a child who expressed a pregnancy or a child who expressed a... Um, you know, uh, questioning their gender would be unsafe in that family that they might be subjected to abuse or that they might be kicked out of their home. And because of that, they want to eliminate, because of that very small number of circumstances, they think that we should eliminate entirely the parental involvement across the board. Um, the latter part of that, I'm kind of putting some words into his mouth, but but that's essentially what they're saying. Whereas I would say that um, we should have laws that protect children. Period. Um, and we don't protect the minority of children by making it easier for all of them to be subjected to abuse. Right so i am the first one to say that no little girl should be kicked out of home because she's pregnant Um, and she shouldn't be kicked out of her home by her parents because she's pregnant and they want her to get an abortion because they're embarrassed to show up at their community and their uh their church like parents have a duty to protect their kids and we have a duty to protect those kids as well but but i think if I'm being a bit charitable towards their perspective, they do see this very real problem that exists. And their solution is to entirely eliminate that parent-child bond for everybody. Instead of standing with us and saying, well, let's protect all of the kids. Let's tell parents they can't just abandon their 16 year old because she's pregnant. And because I think, unfortunately, what happens is we open that wide up to everybody, and that makes all children more susceptible to abuse.
0: Doesn't the state already have things in effect that protect these children?
1: Absolutely. So in Ohio, um, for example, um, so Ohio's law regarding abortion requires parental notification and consent. Um, If, however there's a belief that the child will not be safe and all they have to do is assert that to their abortion provider and let me also tell you that some pro-life people think it's a bit too much of a rubber stamp all they have to do is go through a process called a judicial bypass and what happens is that the child needs to meet with a judge the judge has to ask them a series of questions. Basically, do you understand the decision that you're making? And if the judge decides that they do understand the decision that they're making, the judge signs off in the place of the parent or the guardian. Um, I believe it also happens with foster foster care systems. Um, so we have a legal mechanism to r- resolve this. But But I think the other thing is... And again, we have a hard time wrapping our arms about this, around this. There is a certain glee about abortion. And, you know, I'll I'll sometimes get up and give these talks and people will come up to me afterwards and they'll say, well, but Beth, nobody loves abortion. And I I just look at them and I say, you need to go follow the pro-abortion side like, n- nobody in your life that supports a little bit of abortion, right? Nobody who believes ab- abortion's okay in the first trimester, they don't. But the people that are pushing this amendment celebrate it. They wear t-shirts that say, I love my abortion. Um, you know, they, they, they joke around that they want to get pregnant just so they can have an abortion. Um, these things exist out there, and it's it's about the brokenness of our world, and that's what they're trying to force on all of us. Is they're trying to force us to accept abortion without a man, without limits. They're trying to force us um, to have you know kids be able to make life altering decisions about their gender without parents being involved. Uh, this is what they want for all of us. They're looking to break down the fact that you know I, I spoke at the beginning. Each of us is made in the image and likeness of God. I believe that this is a truth about human nature that conforms with what the church teaches. But they so despise that in themselves and in others that they seek to destroy it.
0: Right. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking the truth. I mean, that's what we're here to do. This is a special roundtable discussion on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820. On issue one, I'm Dr. Michael Parker, former host of The Catholic Doctor Show here on St. Gabriel Radio, and I'm in studio with Mr. Mark Huddy, uh, Director of Catholic uh, Charities and Social Services for the Diocese of Columbus, and with Beth Vanderkoy, the Executive Director for Greater Columbus Right to Life. I want to reiterate that you need to get out and vote. I don't want you to wake up the next morning with any regrets, saying, I wish I'd have voted, I wish I'd have gotten there. Get out and vote. You can go to early voting. Uh, It ends on November 5th. And if you want to find out where to go, go to voteohio.gov. You can still uh, send in your absentee ballot, but it must be postmarked by November 6th. So if you need a ride to the uh, voting station or uh, you need some help, uh, you know, getting your absentee ballot uh, taken care of, getting it to the post office, whatever it is, I suggest you call your local parish, and they're going to either have a Knight of Columbus or somebody within the parish who will help you to get to where you need to be and to get your vote in. This is not one that anybody can sit out. This is going to come down to a handful of votes in the end. Do I think we can win this? Absolutely. I've seen too many signs from our Heavenly Mother and from just God Himself that says to me, we are in the right direction. We can win this. And we need you to get us over the finish line. So if you're hearing this, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to write down when you get home or wherever you are, I'm going to vote on this day. I'm going to vote at this time. This is where I'm going to go vote. This is who I'm going to take with me. And this is how I'm going to vote. When you do those things, you're making a commitment to do that. And you are 90% more likely to get out and vote than if you don't. So take the time to write that down, make that commitment, get out and vote. We have to win this one for the sanctity of life. Okay. And I believe if if the Catholic Church wants to have a moral standing within the community and to be able to continue its mission within the community, but not only with regards to social issues within the community, but as in healthcare, most people don't understand that Catholic health care is a mission of the church. It's an evangelization tool of the church. And to be able to do that, we're not going to be able to, I don't believe, under this amendment if it passes. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what this means from a medical perspective, because I think that's you need to understand this. First and foremost, you're going to be handing Planned Parenthood control over the discussion of life in the state of Ohio. I've mentioned this before. They will have monopoly veto power over our state legislature with regards to life issues. We will not be able to pass any common sense legislation that protects the safety and welfare of women and babies. Um, it will um, allow for abortion through all trimesters of pregnancy, which is going to place women at greater risk from harm and death associated with this. We spent the last 50 years since Roe versus Wade trying to create common sense legislation that helped to protect women from uh, illegal abortions, back alley abortions. They used to say we needed abortions to prevent these from happening. And yet we saw when abortion was legalized, high death rates from abortion and infection, infertility, a number of different things. So we passed common sense legislation to protect women and to protect babies. Now we want to take those away in the name of abortion. I don't get it. You're still going to be able to get miscarriage care. You're still going to be able to get ectopic pregnancy care. The side for Issue 1 is trying to get you to think that abortion is any procedure where I deliver the baby before the baby is full term. That's absolutely false. They also want you to believe that because a miscarriage is called a spontaneous abortion, that if we have the current laws in the state of Ohio in effect, that you're not going to be able to get uh, care for that because it is under the word abortion. That is also false in fact if you go to the ohio revised code you will see that miscarriage is an exception to this as is ectopic pregnancy and as somebody who's been practicing life-affirming care for 30 years i have never hesitated once to take care of a woman who is experiencing a miscarriage or a spontaneous abortion because of uh, i felt i was doing an abortion including ectopic pregnancies where there was a heartbeat in the fallopian tube i have uh, removed a portion of the fallopian tube which is morally permissible, to save the life of that mother. If I don't do that, both lives are going to be lost. And we know that, that uh, under the church's teaching, uh, the rule of double effect, that that is permissible. The other thing, abortion is never the only option for these women. In fact, it's never really necessary. It's not even the standard of care when we get past a certain point in pregnancy. If a woman is having a complication associated with, let's say, the bag of water is breaking early, say around 14 to 18 to 20 weeks. Yes, that's a complication where the baby is not likely to survive and the mother is at higher risk for having complications associated with that condition. Under the state of Ohio, it's permissible, even under the heartbeat bill, for that woman to deliver the baby. An abortion is the direct and intentional killing of a baby. We never have to direct and intentionally kill a baby to solve a problem for a woman. That baby can be delivered. Even though we expect that the baby will not survive the birth process or not live long after the delivery, we don't have to go and directly kill that baby. In fact, it may be riskier and a greater risk to the mother of complications if we do that. After We know that after 22 weeks, the point of viability, getting into 23, 24 weeks, we're seeing more and more babies survive because technology is advancing that's allowing these babies to survive and to survive without any long-term problems or conditions with a very high survival rate. And so if a woman has a complication such as severe hypertension uh, during pregnancy uh, or, her again, her, the bag of water is breaking, a number of things, the standard of care is not to recommend abortion. The standard of care is to treat the woman's condition, treat her hypertension, prevent her from developing infection by giving her antibiotics, carefully observing her until we weigh the benefits of, the, of continuing the pregnancy versus the risk to the mother and the baby if we continue the pregnancy, and then we deliver the baby at that time. We don't say, well, let's just do an abortion. Um, abortion is never the answer. They also talk about, well, what about these babies with uh, life-limiting conditions? We've seen an uh, an ad on the the TV of a couple who had a baby with a a very severe abnormality, uh, and that baby would not live for very long after delivery. They talk about how they had to leave the state of Ohio to have an abortion. They did not have to leave the state of Ohio because of any laws that we have in effect here. They had to leave the state of Ohio because their insurance would not cover the procedure. So they left the state of Ohio to get the abortion performed. Second, why, why and, and this is something I always ask, the day before we find out about the diagnosis, we're extremely happy about this pregnancy. We've got names, we've got college funds, we've got rooms, we've got colors, we've got everything done. We're extremely happy. But as soon as we get the diagnosis, oh, I've got to get rid of it. Why? Why? I think there's a lot of coercion going on between the physicians and the patients, and we know that from studies that have shown that there's a large coercion among women to get rid of these abnormal pregnancies. Folks, that's fetal euthanasia, and it's, it's a modern form of eugenics to get rid of the abnormal. That's not morally acceptable, and we as Catholics should not stand up for that. What should we offer? We should be offering them neonatal hospice. It allows these patients to grieve the loss of normal, uh, what they, they thought they were going to have. It allows them to build loving memories of the baby that they have. It allows them to love this baby until its death, rather than being the cause of the death. And so it's extremely important that you understand abortion is never medically necessary. There may be extremely rare cases. I've only seen one case where it came close. And it wasn't an abortion; it didn't need to happen. The baby passed before it got back to the we got back to the operating room. But we weren't planning on doing an abortion. They we are planning on delivering the baby. And so, in my thirty years, I've never seen it where it's medically necessary to do an abortion to save the life of the mother. And if it does happen, it's extremely rare. Finally, they're going to tell you that it's safer to have an abortion than to have a full term pregnancy. Well. That's also misleading and false. A normal full-term pregnancy, we have a healthy mom go home with a healthy baby. It, it all goes fine. Where we see is we have complications of pregnancy, such as bleeding, infection, hypertensive disorders, uh, that, that causes a problem with the mother. Um, and we don't, you know, we, we know that those conditions exist. We know that some women don't survive pregnancy. That's been going on since the beginning of time. But, but What we don't know, the statistics surrounding abortion are misleading because they don't keep accurate information, and almost all abortionists do not follow up the women that they see for an abortion. The women go home, they experience the complications, and they come to the emergency room where they're seen by doctors like me who are left to clean up the mess. So the information is inaccurate, and if you want to know that it's inaccurate, look at their own website. Look at the Guttmacher Institute. They'll tell you that the the statistics surrounding abortion are misleading. So to bring this all and to tie it up in a bow, we can love them both. We don't have to kill one to save the other all the time. We can separate the mother from the baby if necessary, based on medical conditions that are complicating the pregnancy. And if the baby does not survive, then we can feel good and we can feel comfortable in knowing that we didn't do anything to enhance the death of that baby by performing a procedure or a delivery that helped to ensure that that mother life would carry on we're not weighing one above the other we're giving both equal moral dignity and and allowing it to go forward and so with that i'll, t- I'll take my soapbox, and i'll give it back to the two of you to comment on anything you might have heard about what i had to say
2: mike before we started this show i know you said that you were you were praying the uh 54 day rosary novena and I'm praying the 54 day Rosary Novena. You want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a very special prayer. Um, it's uh, 27 days uh, in petition uh, to the Blessed Mother praying the Rosary, uh, and it's 27 days of gratitude. And currently we're in the gratitude phase of this. And uh, the, the, this 54-day novena pr- uh, rosary comes about from a young girl who, has, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she prayed for 54 days in this manner, and she was miraculously cured, okay? I firmly believe that this state has been blessed in many ways by God and by our Blessed Mother, and I I think that praying this rosary has taught me to, one, put my faith in that this is What happens in the state of Ohio, we're not going to necessarily understand the outcome of what, why God is either permitting this or willing this to happen. Okay. But we know that in all things we have to trust in him. The state motto for Ohio, with God, all things are possible. Okay. And so we have to. We have to, you know, we could get caught up in the anxiety and the anger and the frustration and yelling at the TV and throwing shoes at the TV because of the lies that are being put out there. But we have to remember our faith and our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through His mother, petitioning His mother to take our prayers to Him. Uh, she's the greatest intercessor we have, uh, and so by praying this fifty-four-day novena, one, it's 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 really brought me closer to that knowledge, and two it's given me comfort in knowing that no matter what I've done everything that I possibly can to stand up for life here in the state of Ohio and defeat issue one. I think
2: that's a great point. And I think that, you know, this is a spiritual battle as much as anything. And so our praying the rosary is important. Our fasting is, is an important part of uh, winning this battle. So, um, For all of those uh, people out there who may not have started their 54 day rosary novena it's never too late always a good time to start we're on the glorious mysteries from here to the election so pray with us one rosary a day and uh, fasting not one of my favorite things uh, but um, for this 54 day period I've given up my uh my favorite lunch foods like hamburgers and french fries and gone on to just having bread and water for lunch so it's a very little thing but i think all of the little things um actually make a difference and uh, our lady's intercession is very powerful so if she was able to win the battle of lepanto i think she can handle this election
0: right well, it, it's very interesting there was a uh... Uh, rosary g- gathering at the square in the home in the town that I live in. And it was a rather dark and dreary day. And, and the, the priest actually prayed that maybe the sun would come through while they were praying the rosary. And sure enough, the sun came through. And at the end of the rosary, it got kind of windy and dark and, and cloudy and the trees started shaking and everything, right? They were buckeye trees. <laughs> and they dropped hundreds of buckeyes onto the ground that the children picked up and laid at the foot of the Fatima statue of Our Lady, okay? And so I, I really, you know, you can take it for what you think it is, but I think it's a sign that she's protecting the state, okay? And you don't even have to, you know, I want you to pray the full rosary, but if you can just get a decade in, just a decade a day, Mother Mary will finish it for you. Um, and, and definitely, you know, if you can fast from something, not fasting, people think, oh, I gotta give up food forever. I'm just eating one meal a day and fasting in between the meals, uh, but it's giving up something that's important to you to 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 give that to God as a petition to hear your prayers uh, and so I think it's important. Beth, what do you have to say
1: well i I tell people all of the time that in the pro-life movement prayer is not a platitude, it is our premise and um it's it's necessary to the work we do for so many reasons if you know if only to kind of give us the I guess the internal fortitude in the the patients and you know, certainly, if you're if you're not play, praying the novena, it's beautiful. You can go online and get a reminder. I, I think it's been in just about every bulletin. Um, I also know that our friends here at Saint Gabriel Radio are inviting people to pray the Rosary with them. And um, after you pray that Rosary, go on and just go on to stgabrielradio.com and you can let them know that you've prayed that Rosary. Um, and that's a nice thing. You can kind of do double duty, I suppose. So um, but but certainly, you know, I, I, I tell people all of the time, I'm very confident we can win and we can talk a little bit about some of the things we're trying to do to make that a reality. But uh, I also know that our hope in the pro-life movement, it's it doesn't rely on what happens on November 7th. Now, Don't use that as an excuse not to get involved, because if we lose on November 7th, we are talking about some really, really dark times in the state of Ohio. Um, If you thought living under the moral rot that was Roe v. Wade was awful, um, keep in mind that they found the right to abortion in the shadows and penumbras of the 14th Amendment. And here they're going to have it in the black and white of Ohio's Constitution. But I also know that no matter what happens, uh, you know, even in victory, we're going to wake up on November 8th and the pro-life movement here in in Central Ohio, in the Diocese of Columbus, in the state of Ohio, and everywhere throughout the whole world is going to wake up and we're going to get back to doing the hard work that we're already doing, that we're going to be working to help moms and babies, and we're going to be working to build strong families um, and to proclaim the truth the you know the truth about the gospel of life itself so i i'm i'm very confident but that said if you'd like to do a little bit more you know we have uh, even in this last week uh we have people going door to door we have people phone banking um if you are at all interested in that we'll send you to some friendly doors visit gcrtl.org slash stop s-t-o-p um and you can get signed up and and We're getting, you know, every single vote in every single county is going to count this time.
0: I I think it's extremely important that everyone get involved in some way. Uh, Prayer is probably the easiest. Fasting is probably the next hardest. But getting out and coming outside your comfort zone uh, is really, uh, you know, one of the hardest things to do. But you know what? We don't have a second chance. We don't have a second chance if this doesn't pass. You're listening to a special roundtable discussion regarding Issue 1 on St. Gabriel Radio, AM820. Uh, Dr. Michael Parker, and I'm in studio with Mr. Mark Huddy, uh, who is the Director of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns for the Diocese of Columbus, and with Beth Vanderkoy, who's the Executive Director for Greater Columbus Right to Life. Beth, you already mentioned how they get, what more you're doing and how they can get involved. Mark, what more is the diocese doing or, or what is the diocese doing to encourage parishioners to get out and do more?
2: Certainly the diocese has been participating in, in presentations, so Beth and, and Jerry Freewalt from the, the Director of the Office for Social Concerns and myself, we've all been on the road uh, doing presentations at variety of places Together with you, Mike, on, uh, on a number of occasions, um, we've, uh, we've uh, tried to uh, get signs out. We've distributed the conference materials in parish bulletins and um, in hard copies at the narthex of most every church in the diocese. Um, Beth, do you still have some, t- uh, some signs?
1: Uh, we have just a few left. You can certainly give our office a call. Um, uh, we're hoping to get those out because they don't do any good. But yeah, we've we've gotten about 29,500 signs out through our doors at Greater Columbus Right to Life. So um, thanks to everybody who's helped with that, um, called, gotten signs. You know, we've distributed them through many churches and, um, uh, so certainly certainly signs are there but I always tell people signs don't vote people vote
2: yeah fair uh, enough I, right? yeah, the is sign the... is is the sign is a sign you yeah, know I... I just noticed that in my neighborhood which was sort of sign free for a period of time um, I've had you know a couple signs in my yard and now I'm seeing a lot of no signs yeah so I think that's a kind of momentum builder so right. If, uh, if you don't have a sign, call Beth. If Beth doesn't have any signs, we still have a few at the diocese. So we got eight to 10,000 of them following best larger order, and we've been trying to get them out to places in, in the remotes uh, portion of the diocese. I was out at St. Leonard delivering signs about a week and a half ago. And uh, so yeah. um, I think, you know, those are very important ways of helping encourage people uh, to come to the right conclusion.
0: right. I, I would agree. And, and I see outside of most parishes, they've still got signs outside that you can just pick up. A lot of people say, oh, that's the church. I didn't know. They're there for you to pick up and take home. Mm-hmm. So take those home. Again, to remind you, get your absentee ballot in if you're a voting absentee. It must be postmarked by November 6th. Early in-verse, in-person voting is going on right now. Uh, if you want to find out where you can vote early, go to voteohio.gov. For me, living in Delaware County, I go to the uh, the area, the uh, Delaware County Board of Motor Vehicles. It's right in that same building. Uh, but you can, uh, that ends Sunday, November 5th at 5 p.m. If you're going to wait till uh, the final day of Election Day, wake up early and get in there early. Don't let anything interfere with your decision to vote that day. Get it done before your excuses wake up. All right, get in there and vote uh, and do whatever you can. More that you can do, follow Greater Columbus Right to Life. Follow the Catholic Conference of Ohio on, on uh, all your social media accounts. There are a number of other uh, organizations, uh, Center for Christian Virtue, Protect Women Ohio, um, that you can follow there. And they've got plenty of information about this issue that can tell you the truth of what's going on. Um, and 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 also... Get on there and tell why you're voting no on issue one, either from just your own personal perspective or from your perspective as a Catholic. When people see that ordinary people like yourself, even if you're pro-choice, you think this is just too extreme. And it is. It's just too extreme for the state of Ohio. Um, That that little thing that you might say, uh, you may think it has no influence on the world. You may only get eight likes, but that may have been eight people who are going to vote yes, who are now going to vote no. So like I said, 10, 10, and 10. Get out and talk to 10 people. Get 10 people uh, uh, to talk to 10 more people and get 10 people to vote. Okay, you got to get out there and do that. Beth, have we missed anything?
1: Well, we probably have, but um, here, here's what I, we've been talking for a long time, though. So um, so I, I think it's really important to keep in mind you know, we've, we've spoken again just how extreme this amendment is. And again, to, to reiterate, if they are successful, if issue one passes, Ohioans will be forced to accept abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason, including something as frivolous as gender selection. Um, and again, this doesn't happen in Ohio because it, it's illegal here. Um, but in places where it is legal, places like Colorado, New Mexico, California, Washington D.C., New York, it happens thousands of times each year. Uh, when we're talking about something so extreme that it's going to cut parents out before children engage in life-altering decisions, before kids are taken for abortions, or before kids are taken for, you know, puberty blockers and sterilization. Um, Or, heaven help us, you know, radical sex change procedures that can't be reversed. Um, If we're talking about the overnight elimination and restraining the people of Ohio from passing common sense laws that keep people safe. This is so extreme that it, it actually kind of starts selling itself once you explain to people, you know, just how extreme it is. And I can't tell you the number of people I've been involved in politics. I have friends who are all over, you know, they're all over the political spectrum, some of them in very weird ways. And I can't tell you the number of people who have quietly approached me and said, you know, Beth, I'm I'm not with you on abortion, but you're right on this one. I'm voting no on issue one. And, and I think to a degree, um, we need to remember that we owe our friends and our families our own courage to speak up about this. because I you know, I, w- I was thinking about this the other night, and you know've I've done debates. I do a lot of public speaking. I think the three of us are pretty comfortable. We can hold our own against protesters. But sometimes it's easier, you know, it's easy to talk about these things. It's easier to debate an opponent than it is to talk to a friend or to talk to a family member and the way that that conversation itself can be loaded. So certainly we need to be praying and fasting. Certainly we need to be educating ourselves and you know understanding we have some resources on our website to help you understand what really is in this amendment and how to justify it. Just like we always have to be ready to justify you know what we believe in, um, we have to be able to justify the political arguments that we're making. And, um, and and again, look, I think most of you probably are believing us. Um, certainly, we have a political battle ahead of us, but I think I speak for the three of us um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be lying about something this important just for the sake of a political fight. Um, because um, one of these days, I know that I'm going to die and I'm going to face my maker and I'm not willing to... I'm not willing to risk my soul for lying about something just to win a political fight, right? Right. Um, But, you know, learn and learn more so that you can understand and debunk it and then have the courage to talk to your family member or your friend or the lady at your church who who maybe, you know, maybe she's sporting her I stand with Planned Parenthood bumper sticker or T-shirt. You know, have the courage to talk to them And let them know that this is just too extreme to put into our Constitution.
0: Yeah, Beth, when you were talking, it brought up a few things that I think it's very important for people to understand, that if this amendment is passed, okay, first, there are, in Ohio right now, you cannot have an abortion for a suspected or known diagnosis of Down syndrome, Mm -hmm. okay? Mark and I share a very close friend who has Down syndrome, uh, and one of the most beautiful people I know. Uh, Two, you cannot have abortions for sex selection right? Um, Or you shouldn't, anyways. Um, Three, you cannot have partial birth abortions, and you cannot have dismemberment abortions. Those things are going to go away almost immediately. Um, In in other states, it's having to be legislated out. Because this is a self-enacting amendment, on December 7th, those procedures can come back into effect, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're going to see babies that are capable of feeling pain, being born up to their neck before scissors are stuck into the back of the skull and the, the cranial tissue is sucked out so they can deliver the head. Or they're going to come out in pieces, hands, feet, legs, arms, torsos, heads. Sometimes we see those things are, are, are left behind and they come to the emergency room where we have to pull those out. You know, those things are going to come back to Ohio. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to be remembered for, that I voted for an an issue that allowed for babies to be mutilated and torn up and torn apart? Even if we have the heartbeat bill in effect, it protects women. Like I said, go read the Ohio Revised Code. The current viability ban, or I don't want to say ban because abortion is not banned in Ohio, that's their word. Over 18,000 abortions were performed last year in the state of Ohio, and I think Beth, you said close to 1,900 were performed during the time when the heartbeat bill was in a, was in effect. The heartbeat law was in effect, and so there is no ban on abortion in the state of Ohio. There probably never will be a ban on abortion in Ohio. God willing, there will be a ban on abortion, but you know, I don't think it's going to happen. But don't live that, believe that lie that it's banned. They're going to bring back abortion through all stages of pregnancy. For me, my concern is that every conversation that I'm going to have to have with a woman when she comes into my office or into the hospital is that, you know, you have a right to have an abortion. And you don't have to give me a reason. You can have it in the state of Ohio. You know, or uh, I'm faced with a a person with uh, gender dysphoria. I'm going to to be forced to either... Not do it, not comply with that, or give them what they need. Even though I've never been trained in it, I don't have any uh, permission. You know, I don't have any inkling on how to do it. Uh, They could force me to do it. It's basically going to pro-life doctors, nurses, others are going to become targets for elimination from the healthcare world. They're going to want to get rid of us. They're not going to let us in medical schools. They're not going to let us in nursing schools, and they're going to try and get us out of whatever we're doing so that they can have their 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 abortions on demand. Mark, uh, question that. I, I want to ask you, in the church we always talk, approach our neighbors with charity. Talk to them with charity. How do we have this conversation in a charitable fashion?
2: I think the conversation has to start with, uh, you know, first of all, a personal recognition that whomever we're talking to has that same image of God that, that we are trying to protect by defeating this amendment. So every person is made in God's image. So we have to recognize that ourselves as we begin a conversation. I think the place to begin a conversation is with some questions. I think uh, the first question might be, you know, do you support abortion in the in the third trimester? Um, and if the person says, no, actually, I, I don't, and you, then you're able to get into a conversation about the fact that this particular constitutional amendment will open that up. The second question you might ask is, do you think that parents ought to have some say in medical procedures, life-changing medical procedures that their children undergo, And, and see what kind of answer you get there? I think those are kind of doorways to open up a deeper conversation that can be loving, that can be friendly, and that can find allies, as Beth has said, from people that may not share the complete view that we have, the complete ethic that we have, but who can be with us on this issue.
0: I, I agree with you, Mark, in that I find that asking questions gets them into a state of self-reflection. You know, And it's not me telling them what I think of this. It's them telling themselves what they think of this, mm-hmm. and then enlightening them as to what this amendment says. Now, proponents of this issue are going to say, "Oh, all those things you're saying are a lie." You know, it doesn't say that specifically in the in the amendment. It doesn't have to say it specifically. Uh, the words that they use are so broad and so uh, vague and misleading uh, that they are deceiving the voters into thinking that oh, this is just about a woman's right to have an abortion. Uh, this goes way beyond this. And, and you know, uh, we talk about th- 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 that side is defining what is um, uh, reproductive care, you know. Uh, and so we know that it's going to involve abortion, contraception, those types of things. By the way, contraception is never being discussed as going away in any legislature that I know of. Um, but what's going to happen in the future when it becomes cloning? You know, uh, or chimerism or something of that nature, or where we're using these uh, reproductive cells to develop uh, tissues for transplant. We're taking advantage of young embryos, young, young human beings, uh, to the pleasure of another person. You know, they're defining what is uh, reproductive care. And I, I think there's a lot of unintended consequences that are going to come out of this if it's passed. Beth, do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I agree. I I mean, certainly there's always, you know, I worked for the legislature for a long time. And something that I learned there is that no matter how carefully you draft a piece of legislation, there's always something that you didn't think of. Um, And, you know, that's why we have a a hearings process. That's why, you know, you know, not that it works exactly like what we learned in Schoolhouse Rock and how a bill becomes a law, but the reason that we have the opportunity for the public to come in and weigh in on legislation is to, do, to run these traps, to figure out what we didn't see, to figure out what we didn't know. And in, in this case, they are trying to put policy, very broad, intentionally broad policy, into the Constitution. And they are using specific legal words with specific legal meanings, um, and you know, you said earlier they're they're portraying this as just about protecting a woman's right. Again, the word "woman" does not appear anywhere in this amendment,
2: and that's not an accident.
1: It's it's not an accident. These these are not um, these are not fools. These are these are sophisticated attorneys. Uh, who have been doing this at the highest levels for decades that are spending millions of dollars. And and let's be honest here. When the smoke clears, both our side and their side will have spent 30, 40, 50 million dollars each. Um, and what are they doing it for? They are doing it to enshrine their business practices and their profit margins into our Constitution. And we are you know, forced to pony up the money to defend the the life of people. But I get a little sick when I think about the help that we could give to women and children and needy families, um, you know, with what we're spending. I get a little bit sick about that. But I'm also not willing to stand by um, and not work and not raise the money because I don't want to live under an oppressive constitutionally mandated regime for the next 50 years um, until we can come up with the ability to repeal, until until people realize just how far we've taken it, and they reject it.
0: Right, right. You're listening to a special roundtable discussion on Issue 1 here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AMA 20. I'm Dr. Michael Parker, former co-host of the Catholic Doctors Show in studio with Mr. Mark Huddy from the Diocese of Columbus and Beth Vandercoy uh, from Greater Columbus Right to Life. We're all talking about you know, this amendment and what's going to happen right now. If this amendment is successful, what do you see for the future of other life issues in the state of Ohio if this passes?
2: Well, I guess my own feeling is that when an understanding of the sacredness of human life is eroded in one place, that erosion is corrosion in a lot of places. And we've seen it you know, in states that have very, uh, you know, liberal abortion laws, we've seen how that's kind of bled into end-of-life issues like assisted suicide and euthanasia, and that seems to be coming in more and more places. Um, and, um, it, you know, there's a reason for that. If if you deny the fact that that life is sacred, then, it, you know, it... it naturally will have that impact of corrosion, of, of recognizing the sacredness of life in other areas. I think it, it's um, not only in the traditional areas that we think of, like abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, but even in things like violence that we see, particularly gun violence. You know, I think that our society right now is kind of exploding with gun violence because we've lost the sense of the sacred.
0: Right. I think we're already accepting of euthanasia when it comes to regards to babies. If this baby has a life-limiting condition, um, then we can euthanize it. If it has a genetic abnormality, we can euthanize it through abortion. Right. Modern eugenics. Uh, I've been saying for probably the past 10 years that my profession is on a silent eugenics crusade. Um, we're coming up with more and more diagnostic procedures to diagnose the abnormal than we are to cure the normal uh, or to, uh, to help the normal um, and uh, spending millions of dollars in, in developing and creating these tests so that we can find out babies that are very early on, nine weeks, 10 weeks, 11 weeks, that may have increased risk for abnormalities um, so that they can be aborted. Um, when, you know... Prior to, you know, the legalization of abortion, almost all medical professional societies did not believe abortion was right. Obstetrics and gynecology considered us having two patients, Williams Obstetrics. I remember reading this as a medical student, that pregnancy was the normal outcome of a reproductive cycle, you know, um, and that even the American Medical Association was against abortion. Now we want to call abortion health care. It's not healthcare. It never has been healthcare. It only became termed healthcare when we were discussing uh, national healthcare systems under Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Because if we called it healthcare, then we would have an obligation to pay for it. But it doesn't treat anything. It, it uh, there are no diseases that abortion treats. Um, the intentional and willful killing of an unborn child, um, and. And, and if this is passed, you are going to end up paying for it, as Beth said. They're going to continue to try and call it health care, uh, which it is not. And um, I think we're, we're just going to see this slippery slope until where life is not respected at all. I agree with you, Mark, that I think a lot of the gun violence is created for the fact that if it's if it's OK to kill the baby in the womb, why is it OK to kill you right here? You know. Um, and so, uh, we didn't see that when there was that respect for life, but I think even within our own faith, we have to start coming back to the realization as Mark and Beth, you both said several times that this, that this new life is made in the image and likeness of God, willed by God, brought into existence by God, given value and dignity by God, um, that we don't have a right to say what its value and dignity is. We don't have a right to take that life because we didn't give it. And um, when we start playing God, as they're asking this amendment to do, they're asking Ohioans to say, let Planned Parenthood be your God when it comes to life issues and determining who should have an abortion and who's allowed to live and who's allowed to who will be killed we forget the true foundation of what our faith is about. And one of the things that uh, has really driven me in this crusade to, to, to get issue one uh, defeated is what we say in the, in the beginning of mass for what I, have, I, I, my sins for what I have done and what I have failed to do. And if we fail to stand up for life in this very important issue, if we fail to have our voices heard, if we fail to convince people that this is morally repugnant and wrong then we're going to be judged on that someday i'm not going to judge you Beth's not going to judge you mark's not going to judge you we're going to love you and i pray for people who are for this amendment on a daily basis as part of my rosary because i want them to know how much god loves them and how much he wants them to come back to him and the first line of our catechism it says god is always searching for us but he's waiting for us to come to him you know, uh, and so, you know, do what you can to get out and get people to understand the importance of voting no on issue one. Get out and vote. Go vote early. Go today if you can or vote absentee. You got to do what you can. Mark?
2: Mike, just reflecting on what you just said, you know, certainly vote no is the message. We have to do that, and it's, it's great what we know, uh, but until we actually act— until we actually cast that vote, we're not done. Right. Um, but the other thing I'd, I'd bring up is that the church has been very active and perhaps more active recently just in trying to provide support in all different kinds of ways toward pregnant women and their children. Uh, and that's, that's been a beautiful thing to watch. As someone mentioned, the recent issue of the Catholic Times was probably the thickest thickest issue that we've had in a long time, it was the life issue for October, which is Respect Life Month. Um, So um, there's a number of beautiful ministries that are run by Catholics uh, that uh, the church supports in many ways through people, through dollars, through other ways to help provide support to pregnant women and their children. But I also want to point out that the church as Mike says, loves everyone. And so if anyone out there has had an abortion and has experienced the pain of of that abortion and and is looking for hope and healing, there are places for hope and healing. We have a ministry in our diocese called Bethesda Healing Ministry that does very good work in trying to help uh, those who have experienced the pain of abortion come to a place of hope and healing.
0: And don't forget the sacrament of confession. Absolutely, which is which is extremely important. We're coming up on a, on probably the last uh, ten minutes of this special uh, roundtable on issue one. Beth, what you know, we talked about a lot of things. Kind of give us your your summation of the importance of voting no on issue one. What more people can do. Uh, how we can get more involved convincing people that time is not up, that we've got plenty of time to turn the tide on issue one.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, if if you're listening to this, then there's still an opportunity to get involved. And, you know, there's you know, there's so many opportunities to get involved that I think sometimes it can become a little bit overwhelming for people. But certainly we have a number of resources on our website. If you go to visit um, gcrtl.org, we've got a whole section kind of dedicated to resources and volunteer opportunities and door-to-door and, uh, you know, upcoming events. And um, we'll continue to add those all throughout the election. But um, even before I, I talk about some of those things I I think it's you know Mark mentioned um, the the Catholic times and I think we don't often we don't often recognize how very fortunate we are to have two just amazing tools of evangelization here. Um, And I'm speaking about, first of all, the work that everybody here at St. Gabriel Radio is doing. Um, I I know that they are wonderful partners in just getting out the message about what's going on, informing people of their faith. Um, So thank you to everybody at at St. Gabriel Radio, continue listening and continue supporting them. Um, but also, I think sometimes people, especially as we've moved to you know those electronic online donations, and we don't get the envelopes anymore, you know, don't don't forget just the real value of what uh, the team at the Catholic Times is doing. Because you want to talk about an amazing resource to to know what's going on, and and th- that's another one that we're so very fortunate and so very blessed. When I think of other resources, you know, I think of our pregnancy centers. Um, We have dozens of pregnancy centers throughout the Diocese of Columbus. Um, And, you know, I think we often talk about PDHC and the Women's Care Center being right here in Columbus. But there are so many outside. You know, there's Elizabeth's New Hope. There's Heartbeats of Richland. There's Heartbeats of Morrow County, Heartbeats of Muskingum, Heartbeats of Licking County. Um, You can go county by county and just find... um, Pregnancy resource centers that are here and available to help women and children and dads as well. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't want to forget um, that when we're talking about this, we're talking about a whole community of people that want to meet, um, meet us in this broken world and walk with us towards hope and towards healing. So, you know, we're, we're down to the last week of the election, the last few days before the election, depending on when you're listening in, and it's not too late. We will be doing get out the vote until probably 7.15 p.m. On, uh, on November 7th will probably be the last phone call that we've done, uh, you know. Greater Columbus Right to Life and our coalition of pro-life advocates across the state, together with Protect Women Ohio and Protect Women Ohio Action, um, you know, with, with two weeks to go from when we're taping this, we've, we've hit, you know, close to 750,000 doors and, phone, and made that many phone calls. But I'll tell you, we are not taking anything for granted, and they aren't too. And so I've worked on campaigns for, for gosh, the last 25 years of my life and every, every campaign, you, you put everything you've got into it. And you just, you never want to leave anything on the table. And, you know, this campaign, we're not leaving anything on the table at Greater Columbus Right to Life. We're putting everything we've got into it. So if you only have 15 minutes to make phone calls, you can give us a call and we will help you to make 15 minutes worth of phone calls. Um, If you need to talk to five people, if you need literature, um, we'll get that to you. We'll get the talking points to you. And so, you know, I, I cannot even tell you how gratifying it has been uh, as a volunteer organization leader to have so many people. We've probably had 5,000 people come through the, the doors of our office. You know, Mike, you and Mark and I, I think between the two of us, we've probably seen at least 10,000 voters at these events that we're doing, if not more. And I keep hearing again and again, you know, I have never been involved like this. I have never put a yard sign in my yard, I've never done door-to-door, I've never done phone banking, but this is too important. And on one hand, I'm hearing that, and then on the other hand, I'm hearing, you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with you on abortion, but you're right, this is too extreme, I'm voting no. And so, I, you know, I just think that there's something that, that we're gonna look back um, and we're, we're going to see that there was something very unique about this particular amendment, but I'm telling you, we can't take anything for granted, not a single thing, not a single vote. Um, and most importantly, not a single soul.
0: Mark, do you want to add anything to that?
2: Pray like a life depends on it because many lives depend on it. So please, even if it, if it's just a few days before the election, Pray like it's really important because it is. There are lives depending upon this. Right,
0: I I, I would agree with you. And just to kind of, I, I want to thank both of you for being with me on this roundtable discussion. We have been doing a lot of work together, but you know, each time we get together, I hear something new, or I hear a different perspective, or I hear something more that I can use uh, in my discussions with other people. <clears throat> Folks, it's like they said, there's no tomorrow. There's no November 8th if this if this, uh, if this passes. Um, we, we will not get it repealed. Um, and that's the history of amendments here in the state of Ohio. Life depends on this. It's very important that you get out and vote. Early in-person voting is still going on. Sunday, November 5th at 5 p.m. is when it ends. Go to VoteOhio.gov to find out where you can vote. Absentee ballots must be postmarked by November 6th. I realize that this is an issue that a lot of people don't want to deal with because they just don't want to talk about abortion. They feel it's too divisive. They feel it, you know, is an issue. They, they don't want to stick their head above the sand on this, but there's no, there's nobody who's not going to be affected by this. So pr- as Mark said, and Beth said, pray fast, do works that you can do. It doesn't have, you know, even if it's just donating $15 to the campaign, Or doing something on social media as simple as that. Not really getting out there, but getting out there. Helping the campaign. But pray and go outside of your comfort zone to stand up for life here in Ohio. Get out and do what you can do. Whether it's talking to a neighbor, giving a ride to somebody who can't make it to the polls, wearing a t-shirt, putting a sign in your yard some way letting people know that you stand for life on this issue and that you're voting no on issue one, the more people see that there's a groundswell to vote no on issue one, the greater our chances for success. But most importantly, you have to vote. This will come down to a handful of votes. I too want to thank St. Gabriel radio for giving us this opportunity for this special roundtable on on issue one and how it affects us as Catholics Uh, And not only that, but people in the state of Ohio. I want to thank Mr. Mark Huddy for being here with me, and of course, Beth Vanderkoy from Greater Columbus, Right to Life. St. Gabriel Catholic Radio brings you this important message from Bishop Earl K. Fernandez.
3: My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as you are well aware, this November, there will be a dangerous amendment on the ballot that would enshrine abortion as a constitutional right in our great state of Ohio. The Diocese of Columbus as well as the other dioceses of Ohio have banded together with the Catholic Conference of Ohio to defeat this amendment. Let me be frank. We need your help to defeat it. The proposed abortion amendment claims to secure reproductive freedom and protections for health and safety, but instead creates several dangers. It puts women at risk. It threatens parental rights. It allows for abortion of fully formed babies in the womb. Let me repeat that, it allows for abortions of fully formed babies in the womb. As your bishop, I am calling you to action. I'm calling you to vote no in November. We are voting no in November because we are a people of life. We are a people of love. We care about women. We care about children. We care about families. Furthermore, we don't believe that those on the other side do not care about the same things, but this amendment goes far beyond reproductive freedom. The amendment attacks the fundamental understanding of the human person made in God's image and likeness. It removes rights from parents, could potentially jeopardize the conscience rights of medical professionals, and represents an assault on human life and the human family, pitting mother against child. Once more, I urge all Catholics to register to vote and to vote no on the proposed amendment in November. As Catholics, we cannot allow this dangerous amendment to put the women of Ohio at risk. We must strongly oppose this amendment and speak out to protect women, the fundamental rights of parents, and the gift of life. Here's what I ask you to do. Pray and fast, educate yourself, read the amendment, register to vote and vote no. Get involved at your parish. And finally, do not be afraid to boldly proclaim the gospel of life. May Almighty God bless you, your families, and our great state of Ohio.
4: Friends, the reality is we are in a spiritual battle and prayer is our strongest weapon. With rent hearts, we pray for the defeat of Issue 1. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly unto Thee, O Virgin of virgins, my Mother. To Thee do I come, before Thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in Thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. There is strength in number and power in prayer. Let us rally together. Join St. Gabriel Radio on November 7th in covering Election Day in prayer by praying the rosary live together at 8 a.m., 12.30 p.m., and 3.10 p.m. Mary, Mother of Perpetual Help, pray for us.